Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, as we uh, have been reminding ourselves for the last few weeks, the, the Apostle John wrote that when Jesus came, he manifested his glory. Uh, that is, I think, John's way of saying that Jesus' true identity was made known when he came, his identity as the light of the world, his identity as God with us, his identity as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's what was made known, and for a long time, the word that the church has used to talk about that making known is epiphany, and that is the season of the church year that we're in, and for the last five weeks, we have read together from places in the Gospels where Jesus manifests his glory, where his glory was seen and and made known, and we're going to finish that this morning by looking together uh, at Mark 9. So I'll read from Mark 9 for us, verses 2 through 13. You can follow along where it's printed in the order of worship or in a Bible, or you can just listen as I read from Mark 9. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So they kept the matter to themselves, questioning what this rising from the dead might mean. And they asked him, why did the scribes say that first Elijah must come? And he said to them, Elijah does come first to restore all things. And how was it written of the Son of Man that he should suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come. And they did to him whatever they pleased, as it is written of him. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, that you would help us to do um, what we heard in that New Testament lesson, uh, that we would be able to look past the things that are seen to the things that are unseen, that you would give us the eye of faith to do that. Every one of us in here, um, in whatever place we find ourselves this morning, that you would help us to see Jesus' glory and the love that rests behind it, that we would be uh, changed by it. Meet those of us here this morning who are ready for that and hungry and thirsty for it and those of us who aren't, those of us who aren't sure why we're even here, help us to see those unseen things. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this, uh, this past Thursday night, I was uh, driving home from the church at about 9.20 or so in the evening. Uh, I was going north on the Kennedy Uh, And you might remember that it had rained on and off that day, especially uh, in the evening, 
Thursday early evening, so there was a little bit of water on the roads, and the light was shining off that water in that, you know, city way. And uh, it seemed quieter than usual. I'm sure that I wasn't uh, the only person on the Kennedy at that time, but it seemed pretty quiet, like I was almost alone. I was going home from a, a deacon's meeting that night. By all accounts, uh, it was a pretty normal deacon's meeting as far as the agenda went. Uh, but it was, it was such a good meeting, you know. Just as an aside, I want you guys to know that we have great deacons. <laughs> They're great. Um, we should all be grateful to God for them. The, the whole meeting, they were just figuring out how to care for us and our neighbors. And they were caring for each other while they were doing that. So my heart was already pretty full when I left that meeting to drive home. I was enjoying that night drive on the rain-slicked streets. And I was listening to uh, Simple Minds Street Fighting Years album. I was listening to it pretty loud. I don't know what makes you happy, but I was very happy. And then I looked off to my right and just a, f a few blocks off the highway over uh, some houses... I saw fireworks start to go off. <laughs> you know, just a, uh, a Chicago-style bootleg fireworks show. You know what I'm talking about. On a rainy weeknight in February at 9.20 in the evening, for reasons I couldn't begin to fathom but wanted to try to fathom anyway. And here's what happened when I saw that, when I experienced all of those things together, that, that happiness that I was already feeling it reeled headlong into joy. And for the next minute or so, that is all that I felt, church, joy, a contented feeling of joy. And then, as it always does, it went away. I think that we all uh, feel like that from time to time, at least I, I sure hope, I really do hope that we all feel like that from time to time. Maybe for you it wouldn't be exactly what I experienced, but maybe it's a song or the way that the light hits something or this great party that you went to or a good conversation that you had with a friend. And then wham, you just feel that thing, that thing that C.S. Lewis once famously called the inconsolable secret. The sense that we have been made for something great and that we haven't actually tasted that great thing yet. We haven't actually put our hands around it. We haven't experienced it. I think God has made every human being to, to feel that joyful longing from time to time, and he's kind to give us a sense of it from time to time, just a small taste of that great thing that we have been made for. That's what happened for Peter and James and John up on that mountain. Jesus showed them his true identity, and for a brief moment, they experienced a taste of what they had been made for. And I'll tell you, thankfully, it wasn't just for them. Uh, and Jesus made that really clear, even though that was really confusing to them at the time. Don't tell anyone, don't tell anybody what you've seen, Jesus said to them, until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Then you can tell everyone, which obviously they did, which is why we're talking about it right now. <laughs> but that was important to Jesus. He did not want them to talk about that glory. He did not want them to talk about his glory until they had seen 
and experienced his suffering first. And that is the glory on the mountaintop. That is the epiphany on the mountain that day. That Jesus, that who he really is, is not diminished in any way by suffering. His suffering is, in fact, the means by which those three guys and anyone who follows Jesus by faith will be able to enter with him into all that he has made us for. So Mark says all this happened uh, after six days. So that ties that moment uh, to all that has happened before, six days ago. Um, You can read about it later in the back half of Mark chapter 8, but I'm going to summarize it for you now. First, Peter had confessed that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, that he was the final king whose rule would spread peace and justice to the ends of the earth. That's what Peter had confessed. Now, at the time, Peter didn't know, couldn't possibly know what all of that uh, would mean. And when Jesus began to explain what his kingship meant, it was definitely not what Peter had in mind. Not at all. I'm going to suffer many things, Jesus said, and I'm going to be killed Peter didn't think that's what a Messiah should be or do or have done to him. His version of the Messiah had no room for suffering in it. So he took Jesus aside to give him the business to try to set Jesus straight a little bit on that whole suffering thing. And Jesus looked at him and said, you are Satan and you need to get back in line and listen a little more. And then Jesus told all of the disciples and me and you too for that matter, That if we're going to follow him, we're going to have to take up our own crosses and lose our lives in order to find life. Jesus said to the disciples and to us, it's possible to gain the whole world and lose the things that matter the most. That's what happened six days ago. That's what had happened just a week before. And it makes you wonder what that last week must have been like for the disciples. I mean, one minute they're dreaming about the march to retake Jerusalem and enthrone King Jesus And the next minute, Jesus is telling them about crosses and dying and losing lives with him. So that's that's where they are. No doubt disoriented and unsettled, confused. Maybe they were a little bit scared. Certainly unsure of what would happen next. And that set of emotions is, I'm sure, not unfamiliar to many of us. I'm sure many of us here this morning feel those kinds of emotions, maybe we feel them now. There are always among us those who feel that. Maybe you don't feel any of those things right now, but I promise you, sitting around you, behind you, in front of you, there are people who are experiencing that. I think the older that I get, the more uh, I feel these things. I don't know why that is. Maybe when I was young, I, I didn't have the eye to see it or the courage to admit it. I don't know. But I do know uh, that as long as we live as fallen people in a world that isn't the way that it's supposed to be, we're going to feel these realities, you know, because of a relationship that's come off the rails or a call from the doctor we definitely did not want to get, because we got passed over at work again, because we're feeling underwater at school or alone. And church, here's what I want you to hear. We weren't made for that. We were not made for that. And that's a bedrock of the Christian faith. Humans were not made to experience disruptions and 
shame and jealousies and diseases and abuses. We weren't made to experience slights and hurts and wounds. We were not. We were made, as the old confession says, to enjoy God forever. That's what we were made for. That's the truth. We were made to enjoy uninterrupted peace with God and with each other and with ourselves, uninterrupted peace with the created order. We were made for communion. We were made for flourishing. And if you don't believe me or you don't quite know what I'm talking about, just read the first part of Genesis or read the prophets and really pay attention to the words they use to describe what it is that God is trying to get us back to. Lions and lambs asleep together and mountains flowing with sweet wine. No one to hurt. No one to destroy anywhere. Death swallowed up. Tears wiped away. Swords beaten into pruning hooks. The least among us made as mighty as a whole clan. And the list goes on and on, church. That's what we were made for. If we can dare to believe it, if we can have the courage to believe it, we were made to share the life of God, to live in his reflected glory forever radiance under the accolade, well done. (laughs) That's what we've been made for. And we know this. We know this deep inside because God has made us to know this deep inside. He's put that into us, and he's made us long for it. So after that week, Jesus takes Peter and the Zebedee boys up to a high mountain by themselves. And then Mark says it just like this. Jesus was transfigured before them. His clothes became radiant, intensely white. Now, that is some very sturdy uh, matter-of-fact prose. But, of course, what happened on that mountain was beyond the ability of prose to fully capture. So the poets have slipped in (laughs) on that mountain where all moments meet the daily veil that covers the sublime in darkling glass fell dazzled at his feet. And to that light, the light in us leaped up. We felt it quicken somewhere deep within a sudden blaze of long extinguished hope. You know, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know or fully understand what happened on that mountain. And I think if someone tells you they do, they've got it all figured out, you should probably look at them a little bit sideways. <laughs> But I do know that for a few moments, that hazy gauze split. That the thin veil between what really is and our dim apprehension of what really is was drawn aside. And for a moment, what really is was seen. That that membrane that separates what we can see with our eyes and what we can feel with our hands, and the immeasurable, incomprehensible truth that usually lies hidden from our eyes and from our hands that was slipped away for a moment. It was a tiny taste of what we had been made for. The glory of God shared with man. The great... uh, 
fourth century preacher Chrysostom said it like this, he manifested to them the God who dwelled among them already. And then there appeared to them Elijah with Moses, and they were talking to Jesus. Why these two? Why Elijah? Why Moses? Well, there's been lots of great guesses over the years as to why it was those two. The truth is we don't know because we don't get told. And Peter sees this fearful thing. He sees this beautiful thing happening, and he says, Rabbi, it's good that we're here. Let's make three tents, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Peter wants to freeze that moment. He wants at least to prolong it a little bit before it slips away. He doesn't want it to end. Of course, he's terrified. He's afraid. He doesn't know what to say. Which of us doesn't understand Peter's impulse? Which of us doesn't know exactly what he was trying to get at? Peter had seen what he was made for, the glory that he was meant to share, the joy of it, the embrace of it, the satisfaction of it, the the pleasure of it, the perfection, the completeness of it. For just a moment, for Peter, the veil slipped back and he felt what it feels like to enjoy God forever. It was amazing. Of course he wanted it to last forever because church, it's supposed to last forever. And I don't think you and I, <laughs> I don't think you and I should expect to see something like the transfiguration of Jesus this side of heaven. I mean, maybe, but I don't think we should expect it. So I'm glad God saw fit to make sure that we knew about it, as dense and as mysterious as it was and is. But I do believe that God gives us gracious little taste of it from time to time, like me driving home on the Kennedy a couple nights ago. I sure hope you have felt that contented, joyful longing at a meal or in worship or in the smell of a newborn or out in the woods staring at a fire, reading a great book. Church, that's a taste of the glory of God reflected off of the face of others through their voices. That is the the glory of God reflected in the touch of others. It's a taste of the glory of God reflected off of the world that he has made for us or off of one of the many great gifts he has given to the children of man. It is a taste of what it will be like to enjoy God forever. A taste of the thing that we have been made for and it remains elusive to us right now, the inconsolable secret. But it is not unknown to us. And thank God for that. And thank God, church, that it will not always be elusive because Jesus came to lead us back to it forever. So Peter says his thing. (laughs) Of course, there's no entertaining it in the moment. There is only a great cloud and a voice. This is my beloved son, the father says. Listen to him. And so they have a chance to listen to him right away as they come down off of that mountain when Jesus tells them not to tell anyone what they have seen until after he's risen from the dead. Mark makes sure that we know that they don't know what that could possibly mean. They remain baffled. They remain really honestly resistant 
to the notion that the Messiah would suffer? I mean, look at what they've just seen. Come on. (laughs) Let alone that he would be killed in the way he described that he would be killed. Their notion of glory continues to exclude suffering, but Jesus means for them to know that his notion of glory is inseparably tied to suffering. So they ask about Elijah coming first to restore all things. I mean, they've just seen him, so it's natural, right, that they're trying to piece things together to try to sort out whatever they think is going to go down, like exactly how it's going to go down. Malachi 4, this famous passage, talks about Elijah coming first before the great and awesome day of the Lord. So they ask about Elijah, and Jesus surprises them, I think, by telling them that Elijah has already come, and they did to him whatever they pleased. He's talking about John the Baptist, his forerunner, who had, of course, been executed And the point is clear enough. He's telling those three that if that's what happened to John, they should not be surprised that he will suffer many things and that he will be treated with contempt. Church, in that moment, you know, like a minute, two minutes maybe from the glory they had seen, he's pointing them forward to his cross where they will see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, his life for ours, a ransom for many. Church, the scandal at the heart of our faith is that Jesus' glory is most clearly and vividly seen at his cross. It is the epiphany of his love. And when we confess our faith together, like we're going to do in just a few minutes, we're going to confess our faith together. Remember what we say in that confession about the earthly life of Jesus. We say he suffered under Pontius Pilate. We confess that he suffered his life for ours and for the life of the world. This is the way that Jesus leads you and me and everyone who follows him by faith, through faith and repentance, back to all that we have been made for. It is through the forgiveness of sins that we make our way back to that shared glory of God to the accolade well done to enjoying him forever this is the beloved son listen to him let me pray for us father we ask that we <laughs> would would listen to you <laughs> and in turn would listen to your son. As he teaches us again that his glory is not diminished by suffering. Father, we ask that you would help us to rest in him, to cling to him, to stay with him, to abide with him as he leads us back in love to all that we have been made for. Do that so that we will be a people who are growing and maturing in our faith. Do that so that we will be a people through whom you can love this broken world, through whom you can reflect your glory into this broken world. We pray this all in the name of Christ. Amen.